station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick. We are joined by my co-host, as always, movie serial killer, Melissa Kersher. Hello. I don't know how to feel about well, that. It's, it, it implies a certain level of co- competence. Oh, okay. 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 So, okay, that's fair. Yeah. All right. And <laughs> movie neophyte, our special guest for this episode, it is Chelsea Oki. Hi, Chelsea. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thank you for being here. So uh, this is your first time on the podcast, uh, and you are the person in the room who has not seen the movie. Yes. So that means the first thing we're going to do is we're going to ask you, what do you know about the movie we're watching, which is The Silence of the Lambs? Uh, as... Everybody that I know has seen this film, and as far as I know, it is a horror-slash-thriller. And the most that I've seen of it is, like, clips on award shows and (laughs) everything, like, movie uh, critiquing. They do, like, little clips of it sometimes. And so I've seen that and people quoting, like, bits of it, like, it puts the lotion on its skin. Ah! Ah! Ah, yes. So, yeah, it it, it does exist in the pop culture, what do we want to say, zeitgeist? Yeah, very much a zeitgeist. To a certain extent. Um, Do you know who's in the movie? I know that it's Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Uh, And I can't remember the female lead, but I know her... uh, be Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Yes. Anthony Hopkins, oh. Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. Uh, our last episode was The Lion in Winter, featuring the first appearance in film of mm-hmm. now Sir Anthony mm-hmm. Hopkins. Uh, but this this movie, much a, more, more towards the middle of his career, and yet kind of establishes his career. Oh, at least um, in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, you know, he he's a standard working British actor. I mean, his batting average is better than most, you know, certainly better than Michael Caine sometimes. <laughs> but uh, um, I, th- I don't think he came to conscious... Like, Americans didn't really become super aware of him until he did this role in this movie. Right. And, and it just took off because it's one of those iconic performances. Like, you can't take your eyes off of him. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize this was his first appearance in... The U.S. market. Well, not really. It's not first, his first appearance in the U.S. market. It's really when his career took off in the U.S. market as being a, a recognized star. name, a star. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He, he actually had clout, uh, if you want to want to put it that way. Yeah, like like movie nerds would have known who he was, but not like every everyday moviegoer. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. this movie. Uh, stacked up a ton of hardware. Now, we're talking kind of in non-spoiler ways at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get into a lot more detail about the movie and, and, and a lot of other little trivia facts and things like that later. But uh, it did stack up a lot of hardware. Uh, it was only the second movie ever to win what are considered kind of the top four mm-hmm. Oscars, which is actor, actress, director, and best picture. Wow. Yes. And I'm not... Has anything done it since? I don't... Mm, yes. Yes, I believe so, but I'd have to check it. Yeah, we'd have to check. Um, but but it's also the first, and I believe, only horror film yep. to win Best Picture, um, which is very interesting to me, because, I, I mean, we were talking about this very lightly before the podcast, but, I mean, there's so much of a... Um, cultural distancing between people and horror films that you know it's really hard for a horror film to get into the you know well not necessarily into the mainstream because they're they're very popular horror films but into like the higher echelon like tastemakers like this uh 
and to win can, awards can win awards and mm -hmm. and so on and so forth and and this movie is a, a real potent combination of thriller and and horror so it's a police procedural with elements of horror which i think makes it very palatable yeah. to people who aren't normally into horror films good to know <laughs> <laughs> and, and it and it's it's also um like coming up through the 70s and 80s i mean part of that kind of poisoning the water happened during the early 80s when everything was slasher movies and that turned so many people off right um <laughs> because that you know just they weren't they were fun on a certain level, but they're not for most people. And so this is a very smart film. It is it is tense. It it doesn't revel in gore, but it's both it, the main characters yeah, are uh, perfectly portrayed. Yes, uh, and perfectly written to be really compelling and deep and complex and interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and so. They both have. I don't want to get too much into yeah. it, but I, th I think there's there's an interplay between these two performers that really makes the film hum. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, what we really should do is just go ahead just and let the film it. hum. Yeah. So <laughs> we are going to go up. We're going to watch the Silence of the Lambs. And we're going to come back, and Chelsea's going to tell us what she thought. It's what it's what we do here. It's what we do here. <laughs> Indeed. So Indeed. we'll see you. We'll not see you, but we'll talk to you in a little bit. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> are back. Many fava beans have been eaten. And we are in the basement. We're in, we're, we're in the basement, which which after that film may, may not have been the best choice. Perhaps we should have stayed in the living room. Would have made us feel a little bit safer, but I can yes. assure you that there are no pits uh, anywhere in yeah. my basement. Don't visit yes. the bathroom, though. I have zero lotion. <laughs> I, there was no warning about the, the creepy basement before we watched the movie. I just want to let that out there. These people led me into a trap. And, and, and now I'm in well, a basement. Well, we could The trap is actually a van with a couch. <laughs> oh, um, that's true. Oh, yes. Think about it. The, the basement, so couches are bad. Uh, yes, the basement's yes. the prison. That's not the trap. Hmm. Still, Tim. Still. Okay. Well, Fair anyway. <laughs> I was the person. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to assure you that it's not as bad as you think. All right. So. Yes. Uh, we have watched The Silence of the Lambs. Chelsea, this was your first time watching The Silence of the Lambs. You must therefore begin this segment of the <laughs> podcast by telling us what you thought of the film. Uh, honestly, I thought it was going to be way scarier. Uh, mm -hmm. This was just a good movie, which is kind of awful to say about a serial killer <laughs> film. But. Yeah, no, Anthony Hopkins hit it, and Jodie Foster, ah, oh, I don't know if you guys know the term suture, uh, in <laughs> a college mm -hmm. course that I took once, yeah. uh, we were doing film studies, and uh, suture is this thing, it literally means to sew, yeah. you know, together, which uh -huh. is apropos for this movie, Right. again, Indeed. awful, <laughs> but uh, it means, uh, in film studies, it means that you're... Um, 
associating yourself with a character. Mm -hmm. And I was trying so hard not to suture in with Jodie Foster because I was so terrified she was going to get killed and, I don't know, spoilers, but nothing happens. (laughs) Theoretically, people listening to this podcast should have watched the movie. Yeah, and if they Uh, don't... And if they didn't, they can just deal with the spoilers. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it is is full spoiler territory from here on in, so full discussion. So yeah, she's fine. So she ends up fine. fine, and that was great for me because about Three minutes in, I had sutured in with Jodie Foster, and I hated that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah, no, I really liked that character a lot, and usually the trope of the female cop is so done to death and so awful, and I was preparing myself for this, but it was actually really well done. Yeah. Like, she yeah. did all of the things that I would have done. She was, like, uh, really kind of sticking up for herself when, you know, guys were, you know boys club cop stuff mm-hmm. and she really stood up to them and was like you know that wasn't okay for you to say like let's all go talk in another room because yeah that's a pretty remarkable scene yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it it's so subtle and it, it goes by really quickly mm-hmm. but yeah. it is the uh, a moment that shows how assertive she is as a character i mean this is somebody she idolizes somebody who she's hoping will give a give her a job and yet she stands up for herself and says that what you did was not okay. And and Jodie Foster's portrayal of it is so great in that um, so many, you know, quote, strong female characters you see in movies, especially today when they're thinly written, are just like women that just automatically stand up for themselves. And you can tell that Jodie Foster is like processing, I need to stand up for myself. It's not my automatic thing to do, but Right. You know the the character of Cleese Starling makes herself bold, and right. uh, it's it's very interesting to see that character operate throughout this movie. It, it, she's a phenomenal character. Right. Well, she's really thinking about it because I mean she let that play out, even though she knew it was wrong. She mm-hmm. became the center of attention in that room full of cops, and she let it happen. Mm-hmm. It, Probably because she has a closer connection to the FBI officer Crawford, was it? Yeah. 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 I think that's right. Uh, I will look it up to confirm. <laughs> I just watched the movie. Yeah. I can't Crawford. remember his name. I don't, re- I don't remember. <laughs> I, I've read the book, too. So oh, yeah, it's Crawford. Got, yeah, it's, it's Crawford. Crawford. So, yeah, uh, she probably knew him well enough to know that that wasn't typical, and that's why she berated him quietly in the car. Or maybe there was, like, a power dynamic she didn't want to break you know, as like an interrogator or someone who's trained in that, she probably knew there's a power dynamic, I shouldn't ruin it between him and the sheriff. That mm-hmm. kind of something. something yeah, like and that. the or or moments when she's talking to, to Hannibal Lecter or you know, or Chilton. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I'm gonna let this ride because this could get me somewhere. Yeah. You know, right. it, it's, it's that it's, measured calculation of um, do that was the point. Yeah, that was the point yeah. when it happened for me when she was talking to Chilton the first time, and uh, who's a douche? Who's yeah, a douche. Just a douche. Yeah, dickhead. But they're walking into the actual cell block, and he's like, "You could have saved me a lot of time and just told me in my office, blah blah blah." And she goes, "Then I would have missed the, pu- the your company or something mm-hmm. like that." Like mm-hmm. using his own words against him, and that was oh, it was so perfect, and I just couldn't. After that, I couldn't hold back. I was sutured. <laughs> yes, yes. She's, um, I mean, such a well-written character. You know, she, we we define her as 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 a recruit, 
And so, you know, like at the end of the film, when she's in a situation that she shouldn't be in, I mean, realistically, she should never have been in that situation. Mm. And at the same time, I mean, they kind of, they kind of create it so that she doesn't know that she's going to meet the killer until mm-hmm. she realizes she's in the house with him. She never should yeah. have been alone in that mm-hmm. situation, but... But she wasn't supposed to be in that She situation. wasn't supposed right. to be in that situation. And she's afraid, and she's making some mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and that all makes sense. They don't turn her into a superhuman character, mm-hmm. but nor do I think they weaken the character by giving her those traits. They stay true to who she is throughout the entire film. This is the first time she's been in a situation with an actual perpetrator, mm-hmm. and she's scared, and they don't pretend that she's not. Yeah, yeah, that um, was really good, and it was kind of raw. Like, you sort of yeah. started to hyperventilate. When she was walking down the stairs to the basement, mm-hmm. I pulled my knees up, my hands were in my face, like, yeah. I was completely feeling the same things, like, don't go in there. <laughs> that, that that whole scene is just this amazing piece of of tension. Yeah. Because it, because it's not just that you know you're you're so invested. I, I mean you're so invested in her character you really don't want anything to happen to her. But also the the scene is so well structured in that it's not just the creepy basement but you know you have the other woman in the pit you have the. Uh, the the point when all the lights go out and oh. the killer is the one with the the uh, the night, night vision goggles and the hand goes out <laughs> like in front of her face and she can't see it. It's like ah no, it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> and a couple of times when Ugh. she looks right at him, but God. she can't see him. Yeah, oh. but but it's so vindicating when the moment he gives himself away, it's just a click and she's on it. Right. And mm-hmm. right. And yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's no wonder she got an Oscar for the role. Yeah, right. Just because she really kills it. Yeah, She yeah. kills the role. She gives you that vulnerability. She mm-hmm. gives you that strength. She gives you that intelligence. I mean, re- clearly, the reason Lecter respects her is because he recognizes immediately how smart she is. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Well, um, it kind of felt like a teacher-student bond. Yeah. Like, as weird as that could possibly be, a serial killer and a cop kind of become... Well, that is... Well, I mean, it's based on a real incident because there was uh, a cop that worked with Ted Bundy while he was in jail to catch the Green River Killer. And that's kind of what part... There there are a lot of things uh, about real serial killers that get pastiched into this story. Um, The... This movie is based on a book called Silence of the Lambs. It's by Thomas Harris, who's written like five books in his life, but four of them have been monster hits. And they're uh, and all, they're, they're I don't all, know if all of them are about Hannibal Lecter, but at least three of them um, are. Black Sunday is not, but if I... yeah, Red Dragon but, but is not about Red, Hannibal Lecter, but has Hannibal Lecter in it. Yeah, Red Dragon's mm. about a different killer, but Hannibal Lecter is also is helping... Uh, the cops get to that serial killer as well. By the way, dear listeners, uh, there are two versions of Red, Red Dragon, Dragon available to watch. Yeah, one called Red Dragon, the other one which called is Manhunter. Pretty much awful, <laughs> uh, and the other one, which is called Manhunter, which is a little bit eighties. Oh God, it's so eighties. <laughs> okay, so still better. But but Manhunter, okay. Um, for as iconic as Anthony Hopkins is as Hannibal Lecter, he is not the first person to portray Hannibal Lecter on screen. True. Really? Uh, because that that honor goes to Brian Cox, who played 
Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter. Um, Manhunter was what, 1980? I don't remember the date. I can look it up um, while you're dire- talking. Directed by Michael Mann, who uh, did Miami Vice. Vice. <laughs> and so, like, billowing curtains everywhere. Yeah. Everybody's in pastels. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's billowing. And um, probably the best thing about that movie is uh, Tom Noonan as Francis Dollarhide, who is the serial killer that they're after. Oh. In 1986. That one. But Tom Noonan is a national treasure and should be respected. <laughs> so, uh, but Brian Cox says Hannibal Lecter, there's a lot to recommend that too, but it's not quite the, it's, it's not like the instantly. It's not, it's not amazing. It's iconic. not damn near perfect, which is what silence, silence of the lambs is. I mean, yeah. there's a reason. And I said it won the, you know, the big four, it actually won the big five. Cause it, it won, also won yeah. screenplay as well. Yes, it did. Um, and it, it's just, kind of this electric film it, yeah. it is it, and following the silence of the lambs you know so if it, the 80s um are horror movies that are all uh slasher films and mm-hmm. starting starting around around somewhere in the 2000s our horror movies turn into all found footage films yeah uh, and, well and well, the, well um Horror kind of went dead during the 90s. Horror it was go- really late in the 90s yeah. when horror came back with um, uh, uh, with, with Blair the Blair Witch, Witch Project. Project. But, but, but horror yeah. in the 90s was more this kind of serial killer yeah. film, which all, in my opinion, got touched off by Silence of the Lambs. There, oh, is, yeah. there is a string of genius serial killers <laughs> ba- that are clearly whoever wrote the film's take on it's the their Hannibal Lecter. Huh. It's so, and it's you know the the brilliant cop faced up against the brilliant serial killer, mm-hmm. uh, right. and it's all based on this movie. And and none of them do it as well because <laughs> they don't have Jodie Foster. They don't have Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. Right. And I mean the other thing is that that in most of them it's like the the FBI agent is tracking the Hannibal Lecter character. Or the cop is tracking the Hannibal Lecter uh, character. Yeah, which. Is different than what's going on here, where Hannibal Lecter is again, you know, the mentor, the character that is supposedly guiding the Clarice. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a very interesting dynamic. And the other thing that the other movies didn't have is like uh, the the people working on this movie worked very closely with the FBI and mm-hmm. and you know, the Department of Justice to get it right. Right. And so there's real feeling that is grounded in reality and it's not flashy and it's not like Hollywood people writing about what they think they know about cops and uh, so there's a there's this really nice subtle gravity to it that that really keeps it grounded which which of course makes the the horror around it all the more tangible right because although I will say with a military background some of those corners she was pieing were like really slow oh god giant movements oh yeah I was so scared for her a couple of times like ah he's behind this door (laughs) you're not gonna see him in time oh yeah well and I think they they, played that on purpose and you're you're a combat vet right if I remember right yeah Afghanistan so I I, I could just see you watching that (laughs) That, yeah. that basement thing. It's, it's like oh god no she's so stressed out <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she's doing it all wrong but like I say I think that was intentional I, th- I don't yeah. I don't yeah. feel like you know since they worked with the FBI I don't feel like there were any choices that they made in her actions that were that were accidental that were like oh we, we didn't realize right. we were doing it wrong I well think and it really kind of plays to like the fact that she's a cadet still like she's a rookie yeah. she's not mm-hmm. even a full fledged like badged officer mm-hmm. yet 
And so for her to be doing something somewhat badly is actually believable. And it, even if it was accidental, it felt like part of the story. You know, right. it mm-hmm. felt like it was. And purpose. it makes you more concerned for her. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh. Yeah, oh. absolutely. So yeah. it's super effective all around. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, it's it, interesting because the line in Winter, uh, the last movie we watched, is is fascinating in that it is a film in which you have Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn who basically get three just brilliant scenes with one another that Mm -hmm. anchor the movie. And this film, which we did for the link between Anthony, with Anthony Hopkins, Mm -hmm. um, has the same kind of dynamic. Yeah, because there are the basically four scenes. Yeah, there are four, four scenes, scenes with, them to, with Clarice and Lecter, and mm-hmm. the entire film just stands still mm-hmm. oh, yeah. for those scenes. And uh, Hannibal Lecter is only on screen for like twenty-four minutes, which means it's one of the shortest performances that have ever earned a Best Actor Oscar. Wow. <laughs> well, and there was so much, just like some of the scenes where. It was like a close-up of Anthony Hopkins' face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he never blinks. He doesn't <laughs> blink. And you see so much. He's not really doing a whole lot with his face. Mm-hmm. But there's so much being told in just his eyes. It is intense. Mm-hmm. And he makes it... Oh, he makes that character so real. Mm-hmm. You can understand why he's terrifying. Yes. Even though you've... You, until... He, they've got the breakout scene. Yeah. You have never seen what he's capable of. Right. He oh. talked a fellow inmate into basically killing himself. Right. And we don't know how that happened. But even so, th- there's there's something about him. You know, I mean, they set it up when they're bringing her in there about how you can't do all these things and they're all very dangerous. And and they set it all they set it all up. But if he doesn't give you that weight of the character being just terrifying. Mm-hmm. To the point that you're like, I believe that he is capable of killing everybody around him. Right. Well, I think it was the ambulance scene that got oh, me. Yeah. Like, as soon as, before he takes the face off, like, <laughs> that is immediately, as soon as you see the guy doesn't move when he gets shot in the back of the calf, I'm thinking, either he's a person who can really tolerate pain, because your leg getting shot, you're gonna flinch. It doesn't matter... Oh, you have to be like a s- crazy person, and that completely could be Hannibal Lecter. So I was kind of confused: is it Hannibal Lecter or not? But as soon as they went back to the ambulance and they show the guy mm-hmm. laying there, and they start to do like the close-up on him, I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> they get oh, it's a beautiful my god! You, and when, when he pulls oh. the face off, and oh. he just looks at the guy, and he's covered in blood, he's like, ah! And he's so happy. Oh yeah. my god, he was so happy. Oh, it was he's like this was fun. Yeah. yeah. When you wa- when you watch it um, after the first viewing, it's like it's all so obvious. And I really feel like they filmed it in such a way that they wouldn't have felt bad if you figured it out. Yeah. Right. And yes, they want to maintain the suspense, but they you also know He's not dead. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so what you're trying to figure out is where is he? Yeah. We know he's not dead. He took out both the guards. Right. The guards are dead. So there are three bodies, and you kind of have to start going, which one of those bodies is Lecter? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, oh. And Just so intense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nicely nicely structured scene. And yeah. I, this, this movie is filled with nicely structured scenes yeah Yeah, like just the cinematography like the 
panning that's happening in some of these and like kind of revealing small little secrets as it goes like looking at the pen for far too yeah. long and your your mind starts and again, going it you tells start you, to think and then he can't and, find his pen and you're like you know it zooms you know. in on Hannibal Lecter when he can't find it you and it's you know it, 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 it's they, the, they, they very carefully tell you enough information to be like this guy's gonna fuck somebody up. Yeah, it is it's, so uh, good. It's really fun watching this movie the second time through. Yeah, because you see all the little hints scattered around that you don't catch the first time through. Like, right. uh, you know, when Clarice shows up at James Gum's house at the end, and she still has no clue. She's still trying to get information about the former owner. Mm-hmm. She's walking into the room. There's a giant painting of a butterfly yep, next yep. to her you know turn around look at it oh. and there, no, there the all thing the, is she probably noticed it yeah there's uh. there's all well she didn't get all the way into the room yeah. but you know definitely she saw the moth when yeah. it flew in but, but she sees the thread she sees other yeah. evidence she's already putting it together yeah, yeah. the moth is she's just like it, that's the proof right there that yeah yep. but but there's references to sewing throughout the film there there's a a whole thing about cats like if you look where the cat is there's there's like information behind the cat oh yeah like yeah. there's like figurines of cats here and there the character uh, that's abducted is Catherine. yeah you know, and we really should yeah. we really should talk about that character too because yeah because one of the things that i remember reading uh, after the film came out it might have been roger ebert yeah i think it was roger ebert when he wrote about this in his great movies column mm-hmm. um and he mentions that everybody talks about Clarice being a very strong character and they don't talk about the victim as much. And yet that character is smart. She's yeah. resourceful. And she's not, even though she doesn't get much screen time, mm-hmm. yeah. we get a character there. Yeah. She, yeah. I she would have is, never thought, like, I always kind of imagine, you know, when you're watching these kinds of movies, you always put yourself in the victim's place and kind of be like, well, I'd be doing this, or I'd be doing that. Like, you're trying to escape somehow. And she's, like, at the bottom of a well, and I had, like, no hope for her, honestly. Mm -hmm. But when she's talking about, oh, thanks for the scraps, asshole, and starts Mm -hmm. tying that bone to the string, it's like, what is she doing? Mm -hmm. And she's coming up with a plan to escape and it's to capture the dog which is just it's brilliant here's the one thing you care about yeah asshole and i'm gonna take it yeah she's smart she's resourceful she has very little that can help her yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but she makes use of what she has Or, or or you know or even her mother who's in two scenes you know that's a very interesting character too you know the the I also love that the, 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 yeah. there are these pop culture things that we know about this movie that uh-huh. aren't true. Like, the presumption... It, even if you've seen the movie, I will bet that most people think that Lecter enters on that handcart. <laughs> with the mask. Right, right. Because that is the image of Hannibal Lecter that everybody yeah. has. With, yes. the, with the mask. And, and yeah. there's this expectation that that is how he is revealed. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Right. No, nope, he's um, just standing there in the just standing there. Right. And in the room. Perfectly like like he heard the door open and he was preparing. And he was he like knew that it was for him. I mean there was a yeah. chair there. Mm-hmm. Right. But but maybe the chair's always there. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe um, maybe he well, always the, prepares himself whenever anybody <laughs> enters in the room. Well that could really. be, but <laughs> the guard said, like, I put a chair out for you and if 
Lecter is as smart as I presume he is, he was probably listening as well as he could. Of course. Mm -hmm. um, so he probably knew someone was coming, and he was ready. When she got there, he was at what I would presume he thinks is his best, you know? Yes. Shirt yes. tucked in, <laughs> perfectly it's, clean, standing up straight. It's very interesting, his character. I mean, he's a villain. Yeah. He's, the, he's a bad guy, and yet you are drawn to him. Yeah. This, and you, so you understand why Clarice is clearly drawn mm -hmm. to him. Right. And he's also a villain who has a, a certain code that he obeys. Right. Which, I mean, he's hard to predict because he likes to fuck with people. <laughs> right. But, and he is completely crazy. But, right. you know, Clarice is right. Is like, he won't come after me because he consider that rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. what does he say at the end? It's like, you don't have to worry about me. The world is a more interesting place with you in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. the best line in the whole movie was at the end. It's like, I'm having an old friend for dinner. Like, oh. and, then, and then dickhead comes off the plane. It's like, yes, and yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, isn't that it's the worst so thing satisfying. ever? You're like, you know what he's gonna do to this guy, and you're like, yeah, but he's you, an asshole. Yeah, you're right. You kind of seems it. fair. Well, and it's it. it's so good. I hate puns. I really do. I hate. I just hate them. But this pun spoke to me like yes. it was the first <laughs> one that i legitimately laughed at oh. from my heart it was great <laughs> uh, but yeah no it, it's awful what he's about to do with that poor man but there there's such vindication except yeah. that poor man that poor man's an asshole the, and the problem yeah, and, and, and the reason and, and again what this movie does very well is shows us why lector respects clarice mm -hmm. and doesn't respect the doctor, right? Um, and it's it's because Clarice treats him with respect, right? Or at least like a human, and yeah. that's what the doctor did not like when they're having that discussion, a completely one-sided kind of torturous discussion mm -hmm. between Hannibal Lecter and Doctor Chilton. Chilton, uh, he's got him in chains. He's torturing him the only way that he can, and it's. It would be very scary for that man to be in a room with Hannibal Lecter without any of that. Right. And that's the power that he feels is, you're powerless, and I'm in charge now. Like, otherwise, I'd be getting eaten right now, but... Yeah, and there's... Intellectually, he is not Lecter's equal. Right. No. And so he has to become a bully. Right. And it's very clear that Lecter doesn't respect bullies. Right. Which is why he kills the other he, inmate however it is that he killed that other inmate he very right. much likes quid pro quo yeah and, you know like you give me something i'll give you something you know right it's, and uh, that's yeah. she gave him respect yeah he gave her respect mm -hmm. like, there's, and there's a certain level of trust there even when yeah. he kills yeah. his guards i mean that's horrible these are innocent people and he kills mm -hmm. the people in the ambulance and he kills a tourist and that very all of it feels like murder of necessity yeah mm, yeah um that you know, he doesn't have any problem with it. He is absolutely amoral, and and it it there's no moment I'm sure where he feels any kind of guilt for that that action. At the same time, you feel like he doesn't kill them just because he wants to kill them. He right. kills them because it's required. But when he when he's killing when he's going after Chilton at the end, it's very much a revenge. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and, and I believe in in. In understanding Lecter, in in a Manhunter, and and a little bit when he talks about like the 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 census taker who tried to 
have him take a test mm -hmm. you know and yeah. it's it's always clearly a respect thing yeah. right that Lecter feels he's owed mm -hmm. um, so even though but, but, and none of this says oh wow and he's a great guy and, you know, <laughs> I'm, super, I'm super glad that Hannibal Lecter is alive and, and, and being <laughs> thrown when, at the world when they transfer him to the nicer facility and he's in the middle of that kind of grand room and yeah. the classical music is playing, and he's reading a book at his desk. <laughs> oh, well, let's call it an armoire. I don't yeah. know. I mean, if you can't like, give him a pen, what could he do with a desk? It has drawers. <laughs> right. There are yeah, rails you know, in that God. thing. Yeah. I mean, well, and well, like the chain on the radio seemed very unnecessary. What's yeah. he gonna do? Throw the radio at someone? Yeah, I know. I mean, he's right. listening to classical music, and he clearly enjoyed it immensely because mm -hmm. he had to have a private moment to listen. But. He's got he's got a very very refined taste. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have learned. Well, I, I, I presume it it's like, well, you gave me a desk. I will respect this desk. Right. Well, but that <laughs> would I, that's but what I would call his true reveal. Yeah. Like, you're not actually seeing Hannibal Lecter in that first cell, you know? He's, right. he's in a prison, and he hates it, and it's changed him enough, like, just a little. You're not seeing him in his full glory. <laughs> but when he's in that cell, in that grand room, and he's, you know, sort of made a home there it seems and Clarice comes in he's a very different person yeah he's very much more uh, interested but he also does have the weight of a girl being captured and time running out on his side to sort of use as like that power play sure so yeah. I guess you could say that that's part of it too but I don't know and there's yeah there's still a power play going on oh yeah uh, always right uh, always you know he he's and he's He's looking for leverage on Clarice. He wants to know mm. the. He wants to pull those painful memories out that mm -hmm. he can maybe. I don't even know if he wants to use them against her. No, no I, think, I think I think he's just. I think he just gets a rise of being able to extract it. Well, yeah. that's yeah. the thing is, uh, it's kind of like a chess game that's going yeah. on, and he's the master and she's the novice, and he's giving her some easy kills to use. That's his pre. Quid pro quo. Yes. Except she's calculating too. Right. Yeah. She is always thinking about well, what can I sacrifice? What of myself can I sacrifice to get what I want? Mm -hmm. Well, she doesn't really choose. He chooses for her, and that's sort of the power play that's going on. Mm -hmm. Like he sacrifices a, like a pawn or something to her. Like here's an easy kill, and then he takes something from her. And even if it is just a small bit, even if mm -hmm. it is just a pawn, he savors it with that. <laughs> like, yeah. just, like yes. he's actually tasting a part of her life and I don't know if he's collecting lives if that's what being a therapist was to him yeah like listening to these dark he doesn't keep voice. souvenirs I mean they mentioned that about him it's like well it, I wonder he, if the souvenirs that he keeps well yeah. it, it, he seems to be one of the, one of those people where like, knowledge is power and he, he doesn't necessarily know how he's going to use oh. it or if he's going to use it it's just he wants to know yeah and this this thing is dear to you i bet that's important and therefore it's important to me i want to know what that is right and his like comment about marcus aurelius and mm -hmm. how he's well read or whatever that's just what i saw it as before but yeah. he does collect these facts yeah. and then he uses them as part of his power plays down the line yeah, and I mean, it part he very much presents himself as an extremely cultured, well-read, you know, very refined gentleman, and I think that's just that kind of comes with the 
thirst for knowledge. Yeah. And he just wants to know all this stuff, and he wants to remember all this stuff, and he knows all the details of the, the, the view out the window that he drew in perfect detail. And yeah. he just... He just sucks in all the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow, we've been talking for a while. We are actually yeah. running out of time. But okay. I think, Melissa, is there anything on your on your page of notes that you feel we should share about this film before we, we close out? There were only two other movies that won that quintuple trip. That's right, I was Oscars. wrong. There, yeah, yeah, yeah there was, was, this was the third. This was the third. And uh, the other two were It uh, Happened One Night, and the other one was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Neither of which mm. we've watched on this podcast yet, and but both really of which should. we should. We yeah. really have should. seen neither. We really well, should. There you go. Chelsea might be back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she might be our, uh, our big five. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, also, um, more Oscar talk. Um, usually Oscar winning movies like the ones that take all the Oscars are released in like the last quarter of the year because apparently Academy voters have a very short memory. Mm -hmm. This was released in January of 1991. Wow. It it was actually much staying power. Yeah. It was actually pushed back from, uh, you know, pushed back from, uh, December of the previous year because the same studio wanted to heavily push dances with wolves for Oscars. So they just went, which we'll stick it in January and, you know, people will enjoy it, but, you know, we have no serious thoughts about this winning Oscars. Ha ha ha! And, there and then we it won all the Oscars! Uh, and it won all well, the not, Oscars. Not all the Oscars. It didn't do a lot for, like, visual effects. I No, yeah. it, it was nominated for two additional Oscars, like uh, sound design and editing, I think I it was. I was actually but, really impressed with yeah. the music, I will say, and it was Howard Very Shore. Yeah. Howard Shore! And he did some of the Lord of the Rings stuff, he which I, that's how I found him, and mm-hmm. now... He like did the all music. the Lord of the Rings. He did not do the Hobbit films, but uh, he did all the Lord of the Rings. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I mean, He's I like, loved that. And then the first couple of notes in this one was like, hey, this actually has some decent music. And yeah. Music is what I, I consider half the film. If it's really good, it makes And the it score that is better. really creepy. And I, yeah. I'm impressed by... Um, First of all, it occurred to me that there would be no Dana Scully without Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> but um, also, the watching this movie, I haven't watched it in a while. I've, I've seen it maybe a dozen times, but, but I haven't watched it in ten years. Um, it has aged very well. Yeah. For being... Made. Aside from the fax machine, that was yeah, just the ancient well, well, that machine. fax machine was ancient even in 1991. Uh, which is amazing. So, so it's you know this is uh, what 25 years old. Yeah, I think the major the major miss that most the major thing most people would not get is the lack of cell phones. It's right. like why isn't Clarice calling? Right. Yeah. When and when she's at the when she's at the killer's house because she can't because that technology doesn't exist. I really yeah. did love how she asked to borrow his phone like had he let her, would she just call her boss again? Like, yeah. what were you hoping for there? I mean, I, that's what I would do, but... Distra- I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, as soon as you said, like, uh... This is Agent So and So. I don't know what you're gonna say after that. Like, just checking in. I don't know that she knew what she, what she was going to say <laughs> right. at that moment. She's just like, I am in the killer's house, mm-hmm. right, with it, no backup. But it's it's such a classically well directed film, and n- like none of the fashions are really outrageously 1991. I mean, I I think th- wasn't this the same year that like 
Cool as Ice came out. <laughs> and you look at that and you go, oh my god, 90s. <laughs> and and this is like, this is just a, a solid film and there might be occasionally a, uh, you know, Dr. Chilton haircut. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Clarice's haircut's a little bit 90s, but... Yeah, a little well, bit. that pantsuit was pretty 90s. That, that, that was very the 90s. The shoulder pads were choice. <laughs> other than that, though. Oh, uh, yes, uh, other yeah. than that. It, it, oh, and it George ages. Romero's in the movie. Did you catch that? There's I a did. very tiny cameo George Romero. And uh, Roger Corman is the FBI director. They're, they're like directors all over the there place. Were, you so. did say that there would be a lot of the, that's that guy yeah, kind of moments. Like, hey! There definitely were. <laughs> there were. There yeah. were. All right. Anything else, Melissa, before oh, we... Oh, I think, I think I've exhausted myself. Okay. Well, I think we've had a very good conversation about this film. Yes, uh, I think and so. It's an excellent film. So we need to go to final thoughts. So, Chelsea, what are your final thoughts? What's your final thought about Silence of the Lambs? Oh, man. It was... Boil it down to one thought. Better than I was <laughs> expecting because, I mean, you think thriller horror and I'm already preparing myself for a sleepless night but uh, this was a thinker this was a puzzle to kind of figure out as it was playing out and you kind of wanted to figure it out before it was revealed and it was just very very well done and Thank you for having me on. This was a definitely a real education. Like well, Yay. thank you. Thank you. Melissa, final thoughts? Uh, the FBI was uh, really supporting this film because they were hoping it would help recruit more female agents. Ah, cool. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. My final thought is uh, just to point out Scott Glenn, who plays Jack Crawford <laughs> in this film. A uh, really good character actor, has mm-hmm. been in a lot of really great films. Uh, and we, I don't think we've talked about Scott Glenn on A Real Education yet. Yeah, we We're definitely really going to have to get to the right stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah we need um, to watch that. Yeah. Um, among other films, but uh, Scott Glenn is a, an actor that we certainly need need to revisit. Uh, and of course, I'm going to tell you what our next movie is. We're going to follow. We followed Anthony Hopkins to this film, mm-hmm. so it seems only fair we follow his co-star Jodie Foster to our next film. Yay. So from here, we will be moving to Taxi Driver. Yeah. So uh, we hope you enjoyed watching The Silence of the Lambs kind of with us <laughs> and enjoyed this conversation about the film. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Dee, dee.